This Bee Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. Loved and trusted by more than 1 million teachers, IXL enhances your teaching and takes work off your plate, so you can make an even bigger impact on your students. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K through 12th grade curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights. Strengthen daily instruction, close knowledge gaps quickly, and set every student up for success. If you want to bring IXL to your school, you can learn more at IXL.com backslash B-E. That's IXL.com backslash B-E. We're proud to be sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, activity periods, RTI, therapy, and teacher appointments, and much more. With its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE. This is Dr. Karen, and you're listening to the DeFacto Leaders Podcast on the Bee Podcast Network, where I help pediatric therapists and educators become better leaders so they can make a bigger impact with their services. With over 15 years of experience supporting school-age kids with diverse learning needs, I'll share up-to-date evidence-based practices, my own experiences, and guest interviews designed to help clinicians, teachers, and aspiring school leaders feel more confident in the way they serve their students and clients. I'll cover a range of topics designed to help you support students' emotional and academic growth and set kids up for success in adulthood, including how to support language, literacy, executive functioning, as well as how to help IEP teams working together to support kids across the day. Whether you want to learn more effective strategies for your therapy sessions or classroom, be a more influential leader on your team, or find creative ways to use your skills to advance in your career, I've got you covered. Hey there, it's Dr. Karen, and welcome to episode 134 of the DeFacto Leaders Podcast. Teens' brains are wired to seek pleasure, avoid pain, and conserve energy. On top of that, their prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed yet, which means they don't always make decisions that are in their best interest. They're learning so much about how to navigate relationships, manage their day-to-day, and work through emotional setbacks. Things like not making the sports team or getting the job, learning to be comfortable with how they look, sound, or act, figuring out how to make and keep friends, discovering how to delay gratification and work towards long-term goals, and understanding dating and romantic relationships. So many of these things are impacted by neurological development, and I love a good metaphor for explaining complex processes like this. Joey Massio, my guest for this episode, is full of great metaphors to help kids understand how their brains work. Joey is a teen life coach, a former teacher, and the creator of the Sidekick to Hero Mindset Coaching app for teens. He's also the host of the Secrets to an Awesome Life podcast for teens. In this episode, we talk about helping teens embrace discomfort, navigate the nuances of dating and friendships, and create a personal narrative that helps them reach their goals. Specifically, we discuss whether or not self-help focused on relaxation and taking a break really helps teens find happiness. We also discuss how Joey uses Viktor Frankl's three ways to finding meaning to coach teens. So this includes things like doing meaningful work, establishing important connections with others, and having a productive attitude towards unavoidable suffering. 
We also discuss tips for helping teens and tweens handle rejection, how to help teens navigate the nuances of friendships and dating, and ways to help teens delay gratification and get comfortable being uncomfortable. If you're working with teens, you'll definitely want to check out Joey's Gamified Mindset Training app for teens. As I said before, it's called Sidekick to Hero, and it's now available to the public on desktop and if you sign up now, you can get 25% off the annual subscription. You just want to go to sidekicktohero.com to learn more. It looks and feels like a video game, but teaches teens mental resilience strategies to help them build confidence, develop social skills, and achieve their goals. Again, that was sidekicktohero.com. Also, if you are in the school systems and you want to help your IEP team to build some of these skills that I've been mentioning. Really, we're talking about executive functioning. So if you want to get your team on board with putting executive functioning support in place in your curriculum and on your IEP team, then check out the School of Clinical Leadership. To learn more, go to drkarendudekbrannon.com backslash clinical leadership. Now, please enjoy this episode with Joey Massio. Today, I am joined by Joey Massio, the creator of Sidekick to Hero. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Well, uh, I know that we you have a really interesting background. And so why don't you start off by just telling us a little bit about yourself? Like, what's your what's your background and what do you do now? Yeah, of course. Uh, I'll, I'll work backwards. So right now, I'm a life coach for teens. And I've been doing that for four and a half years now. I help teens with confidence, uh, social skills, and achieving their goals. Before that, I was a middle school teacher. And uh, I was a middle school teacher for seven years. And then halfway through my time, I volunteered to be the teacher in the discipline office, or what a lot of schools would call the on-campus suspension. Um, And I worked in there. And that's where I started coaching teens. And I absolutely loved it. And it was great. And then before that, I was a, a stage performer. Um, I performed on uh, lots of stages across California, doing comedy and, and other performances. My biggest claim to fame, though, is being an actor at Disneyland, where I'm the only actor in Disney history to have played both Darth Maul and the Mad Hatter. Wow. So quite quite a background. I have to say that I am fascinated by Disney, just the whole experience of just how much detail they have in wh- when you walk into that place, they have the whole thing thought out. It's just, oh, yeah. it's really interesting. It's, like, it's so intricate. I actually wrote a, a paper my senior year in high school on Disney as an art piece, like just a piece of art, like Disneyland as a piece of art. And uh, like uh, allegedly they go through and they start repainting everything. It takes them a whole year to repaint everything. And then they get a better, uh, like, back around to where they started and they just keep going and they just keep repainting everything. Yeah. I, um, when, uh, my stepdaughter was, oh, was she, was it when she turned seven, we went to Disney and I thought, you know, I did not go to Disney as a child. That was not something my parents were really interested in. And so I was kind of bracing myself for torture. Like this is going to be so <laughs> awful. There's going to be so many people there, but I was like, wow, they really have have it together. They're entertaining you the entire time. The staff are friendly. Like I, I am kind of in the um, the I'm in the K twelve space, but also in the learning and development space. So anything that has to do with just training the staff and understanding the experience is really fascinating to me. So, anyways, um, yeah. So to talk a little bit about what you're doing now with life coaching, as I've been following your Instagram posts and things like that. I just, it's so interesting because I have done a lot of life coaching and so much of it is, um, you know, and again, there are so many life coaches that are amazing and do really great work, but because it's gotten so popular, a lot of people are doing it now. And some of it is a Mm -hmm. little bit, I find it a little fluffy and esoteric. Um, Mm -hmm. but yours is just because you're specifically talking to teens, it's so tangible, practical, you can make sense of it. 
And I'm just looking at some of your stuff thinking, wow, like this, this life coaching that's designed for teens is like, I feel like I could hire you as my life coach. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Uh, yeah, no, it's, it's great. Like when I started doing it, I, you know, I started in the discipline office and I'd, I'd always worked around teens. You know, I was, I was a middle school teacher for a while and worked at, with teens in my church and in other, like a bunch of other places. And when I started doing it in the discipline office, I was just like, yeah, all right. Well, like it's really action and behavior based. Like yeah. you don't want to be here. Why do you keep ending up in here? Let's like really question that. And it was super helpful for the teens to have somebody who wasn't judging them as, Hey, look, you're, you're messing up and and what you're doing is wrong. And I would just ask them, well, what do you want? Like, mm -hmm. Well, I wanted that girl to, to shut her face. So I punched her, you know, kind of a thing. All right. But, and did you want to end up in here? Well, no, I don't, I don't want to end up in trouble suspended and maybe facing expulsion. All right. So let's look at these things that you wanted and let's look at the actions you took to go about doing it. And a lot of them, especially in that setting, were like, well, there was nothing else I could have done, but punch her in the face. I'm like, okay, well then let's actually look at that and what that created for you. And let's look at some other options. And when, you know, I, I position myself as a, as an unthreatening individual as their coach. I'm like, Hey, I, I want you to get what you, what you want, but, uh, that option looks like wasn't your best and let's mm -hmm. consider some others. And so I really learned how to approach a teen in a way where they didn't mind advice. They didn't mm -hmm. mind actually pursuing other options and they don't, they didn't mind saying, yeah, you know what? That probably wasn't the best. I shouldn't have done that. And I realized when I would watch other people talk with teens that they were like, look, you're wrong. You need to change. And even though the teen might recognize it, they would never admit it. And I realized that, wow, I, I kind of have a nice uh, formula here for how I approach teens. So then I kind of launched my own uh, company and really focused on helping teens with all the things I struggled with as mm -hmm. uh, a teen myself, which was a lack of self-confidence a lack of social skills. You know, I, I had a stutter. I was bullied. I mean, like I, I had a big head back then. It's just as big now as it was back then, but my body was a lot skinnier. Right. And so it was like, I was, I was awkward looking and, uh, but I wanted to be a performer. I wanted to be somebody who was more than who I was being at that moment. And so I discovered a lot of things as a teen kind of figured it out for myself that allowed me to get to where I wanted to be by the end of high school. But, uh, I kind of want to give teens the, the fast track there. You know, I, I want to give them the tools, give them the strategies that they can start using so they can become the person they want to be. Yeah. Do you, so do you work with both boys and girls or yep. do you kind of tend to have one more than the other? I mean, uh, in my, in my membership that I have, it's, it's pretty even boys and girls. Okay. My one-on-one -on -one clients, I would say, I mean, probably 60% boys you know, mm -hmm. uh, 40% girls, maybe 75, 25 these days, but, uh, yeah, no, I've, I've, I've coached girls and boys and really they're all going through the, the, the same type of stuff. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Do you find that there are some things that are a little bit different, um, as far as just the way that they respond to your coaching or the way that they respond to some of the other things that they're struggling with when you compare the boys versus the girls? Um, well, I mean, I think this is common knowledge, but girls are a little more mature earlier on. So mm -hmm. I, I'll totally work with a 12 or 13 year old girl because they're like more mature. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to 12 or 13 year old boys, uh, you know, sometimes they're like staring off in space, showing me their cat, you know, as I'm trying to like uh, coach them, you know, and yeah. they're like, there, there might be a, more of a lack of interest. But if a boy and a girl are both interested in getting help and they're mature enough, uh, I, I find their responses are, I mean, pretty, pretty equal, you know, like once, and, and I don't know if it's my methods mm -hmm. that when I, when I walk them through everything, they're like, oh yeah, no, that's interesting. You know, huh. And I, I've had both, both boys and girls kind of uh, refuse to, to see it and go, no, I actually, I'm not in control of my life and I can't like, thanks, Joey. I know you're telling me I'm in control, but I'm actually not. So there's nothing I can do about it. Um, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I would say it's, about even. Yeah. So really it has to be, they have to be at the point where they're, they're bought into the process of, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. So there are a lot of things that when we're thinking about mental health and thinking proactively about what is going to make you feel good 
sometimes the things that are promoted are often the opposite of what you need to be doing. Like the, mm-hmm. the things that are going to make you feel happy seem a little bit counterintuitive. So one example is, so there's a lot with the self-care and of course you should take a break and things like that, but there's almost this promotion of overindulgence of things. And so can you talk a little bit about the idea of being involved in meaningful work that is worthwhile and, and how that plays into just being a proactive measure for your mental health? Yeah, definitely. So yeah, there there seems to be with a lot of life coaches, the general term of life coaches out there, it's, hey, take a break, really focus on yourself and your needs. Mm-hmm. Th- that's not what I do. That's yeah. like whatsoever. Um, for me, if somebody wants to be happy, the main reason why they're not happy is because, because they're not good at being unhappy or they're not good at being uncomfortable. Mm, oh, okay. Yeah. So w- when you're not good at feeling bad is kind of how I phrase it to, to teens, then you want to avoid feeling bad at all costs. And that goes into all the, uh, you know, pleasure seeking kind of stuff, you know, mm-hmm. the, the motivational triad, right. From our limbic system is we're we're designed to seek pleasure, avoid pain and conserve energy. Mm-hmm. I translate that to teens speak, which is to have fun, stay comfortable and relax. Yeah, that's all they want to do. But doing that stuff won't get us to our goals at all. And that getting to our goals is what's going to make us happy. So you have to have goals in order to to get to them. So in in engaging in meaningful work is actually a phrase from uh, Viktor Frankl and his logotherapy um, concept, where the solution to most of our neuroses these days that teens are struggling with which uh, Frankel says it's it's threefold, which is depression, addiction, and aggression. And if you look at teens, it's not, you know, feeling sad, feeling down depression. We see that addiction is totally rampant, right? Um, among teens, it's just constantly needing to be on devices or being entertained. And then aggression is really just a lack of strong relationships mm-hmm. and a lack of being able to, to make a good connection with, with another person. He says one of the solutions to that is engaging in meaningful work. So meaningful work could be the the teen's homework, you know, but they just don't find meaning in that necessarily. It could be in in a project. It could be in something creative that they're doing. Anything of those, like of that nature would help them dramatically with their happiness, with feeling fulfilled and with their motivation. But the problem is, is that engaging in meaningful work isn't fun, relaxing, right? Uh, Or comfortable. And so they're like, oh, it's just so hard. And that's how that manifests. It's just, it's just so hard. I, I don't want to, is what a lot of teens will tell me, even though we started the conversation with them saying, you know what? Yeah, I want to make more money or I want to get better grades. Oh, wonderful. And we talk about the things that it will take for them to do. Yeah, I know. I just don't want to. I'm like, hold on. Let's look at that. I don't want to like, what do you mean? You don't want to, you just told me you don't like where your life is and you want more, more money or better grades. You're telling me you don't want to do the work. Well, let's actually rephrase that because that's keeping you trapped. You know, that, that that's your limbic system or what I call your sidekick brain talking mm-hmm. You know, yeah. and saying, oh, we don't want to do that. And then you're going to get sidekick results. So that's kind of my approach. Yeah. I love that because it's, I mean, really, you're just talking about delaying gratification. Like I've heard it um, phrased as you're sacrificing what you want right now for what you really want. Yeah. And that's hard. And it's not really, it's like the opposite is trending these days. You know, again, I'm not, I I do think that we need to be aware of, of things like burnout and, but I, again, a lot of times it's, it's really the opposite and it's a lack of confidence in those activities that are uncomfortable, but the only way to be confident is to just do them and get better at them and be, um, not good at them for a while. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and, and maybe this kind of just hit me, right. Where like life coaches out there are mostly speaking to adults and adults are, are like, we, we tend to be all, you know, 
work, 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 you know, like take care mm-hmm. of the house, take care of the house, take care of the house. And so when those life coaches come around and say, Hey, it's okay for you to treat yourself. Yeah. Right? Oh, well, thank you. Right. But that's not the issue for the teens. Yeah. Right? I mean, th- there are teens that are out there that are, you know, experiencing burnout or whatnot, but for the majority of the teens who don't have what they want, who are unhappy, it's mostly, I- I'm just not doing the thing that I need to be doing. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm able to come at them with more of a, yeah, no, like relaxing is great, but let's do that after meaningful work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, is that relaxing feels so much better when you feel like you've earned it. Yes. And, and it's like that thing that you can help yourself look forward to because it's, you get to do it after whatever it is that you're doing. Okay, so I know another thing that is very, it's becoming harder for people, especially with just the need for, um, you know, validation and and acceptance and and all of those things can be, you know, it's not that they're irrelevant, but just the idea of being able to handle rejection and Mm -hmm. um, put yourself out there. What kinds of things come up for the kids you're working with in that area? Yeah, so when a teen is facing rejection it's uh primarily primarily social rejection first mm-hmm. you know um that, that's probably the, the biggest thing that they're facing whether it's dating or friends there's there's that kind of rejection then there's not getting the thing that you wanted whether it was a job whether mm-hmm. it was a position on the team or whatever it was so when that happens they tend to go into this spiral yeah. of uh making it mean something about them personally Mm-hmm. And it means that, well, I suck. I'm stupid. Uh, I'm ugly. I'm not worth as much as other people who don't get rejected or who didn't get rejected in this uh, scenario, right? Everybody else who made the team, they're better than me and I'm dirt, you know, or mm-hmm. the guy that my crush decided to go out with, he's better than me and I'm not better, right? So their brain starts spinning and then they start giving up control because, well, there's nothing I can do about that. You know, I'm, I'm me and I suck and there's nothing I can do about that. When I approach this with a teen, I love to approach it with, um, uh, kind of a three, three steps to becoming the hero of your journey, right? Three, three areas. So, uh, to me, by definition, a sidekick is someone who's not in control of their destiny and a hero is someone who is in control of their destiny, right? Think about the classic hero's journey. The hero mm-hmm. is the one who shapes the story. You know, the sidekicks are just kind of along for the ride. And we feel that way when we get rejected, we're just, I'm just here. I'm along for the ride and the ride is horrible and it's not a very fun one. So, I, I tell them there's three things and I, I love, you know, metaphors and concrete yeah. you know, uh, analogies or whatnot. I say uh, y- you need to take up uh, the flag, the pen and the reins. So the flag is let's just, let's claim ownership of our results, right? You're just going to plant your flag and go, boom, this, th- like, this is on me. Whatever happened is on me, you know? And it, it, it's painful because if we ignore that, then we can just kind of blame our circumstances and not, not worry about things, you know, and just be like, oh, well, you know what, like that, it, it was outside of my control. So I can just feel miserable and not do anything about it. So instead I go, what if all the results that we experience, you know, the majority of the results we experience um, are ours to own? Now, other people obviously have choice in the matter. The girl that you asked out or the football coach decided not to uh, pick you, right? There are other people out there and they're going to, they're going to have choice in the matter. But for you, you have the ability to go, you know what, this is my story. And this is just one part of my story. It's not over yet. I can still push forward. Right. And so that's kind of taking ownership, planting the flag. That Mm -hmm. second thing, taking up the pen is taking charge of the narrative in your head, which quite often wants to go negative and personal when we get rejected. So realizing that you have the pen, you can change the story, change the way you interact with this rejection. And you can kind of write a better one, a more heroic story, which is going to inspire you to take the action you need to, to eventually get the thing that you wanted, which was dating somebody, right? A lot of kids just stop dating because I got rejected once or twice or a hundred times or whatever. So I'm just going to stop. 
well, that will never get them what they want, which is a boyfriend or a girlfriend, or, oh, I didn't make the team this year. So we'll forget about it. I'm going to go do something else, which means they're not going to make the team next year or the year after that. So taking the pen is going to change in that story. And then that third one, taking the reins is taming their emotions mm, where yeah. it's not about eliminating or eliminating emotions. It's about taming them back to the, just get really good at feeling really bad, processing the emotions, being able to, to kind of stop, breathe through it, recognize that you're fine. Feeling unpleasant is normal. You don't need to eliminate this. You just need to tame your emotions so you can kind of then get back, you know, on, on the journey. I think that last one is so important because the, the idea of, of stress you know, stress gets a bad rap because if you have too much of it, yes, it can be problematic, but some stress is good. It motivates us and it's normal and it's just a part of life. So when we feel stress and immediately assume that it's something bad or try to eliminate it completely, I mean, that's, that's counterproductive. That actually leads to more stress because now you're less resilient and you can't handle things. <laughs> so yeah. I'm going to take a quick break here to share a little bit about the School of Clinical Leadership. Many people don't realize that social skills issues are often executive functioning issues in disguise. In order for us to be able to read situations, understand how to jump into a conversation, and think about what other people might be thinking about us, and understand how to respond and react. This comes back to things like working memory, problem solving, attention, among other skills. And in the school systems, many times people have part of the solution in place, but not all of it. Maybe they might be pulling kids out to talk them through how to handle social situations, but they don't have the full continuum of supports in place, and maybe they're missing out on a couple meaningful skills that kids need in order to read situations and respond effectively. So I give you a plan for putting the right supports in place in the School of Clinical Leadership. The School of Clinical Leadership is a program for related service providers who want to take a leadership role in implementing executive functioning support. I will give you strategies that support self-directed talk, working memory, and other executive functioning skills that are going to help kids form social connections. To learn more about the program, go to drkarendudakbrandon.com backslash clinical leadership. Now let's get back to the interview. With the relationships and the feeling rejected in relationships, I know it's, I mean, there's a difference between dating and friendships and um, so do you have kids who have problems with both or are working through both or like, how do you, if you have a, someone who is, doesn't feel like they have a lot of good connections, period, but they're also interested in dating, how do you navigate both of those things? Do you do one before the other? How do you prioritize that? Yeah. I mean, if, if, so if there's a teen who wants to date, but they're like, I'm also just horrible at making friends. I mm -hmm. always start there. I think yeah. that's the basic, you know, well, before you can like date, you know, and, and uh, which is going to involve making a friend first, you know, mm -hmm. generally you don't start dating somebody that, that you don't know or haven't talked to before. So let's just start with the basics, the conversation skills, making friends. Um, and the, the biggest thing is not trying to control the other person's outcome, mm -hmm. which is usually what teens are struggling with. That's usually what's holding them back. I'm going to go up and have a conversation with a group of potential friends. I need them to think I'm funny, or I need them to think I'm cool. And then we're overly focused on that. And that just kind of clogs up the gears in, in our brain and we don't know what to say. And then we're worried and we're, we're really overanalyzing everything that we've said, you know, oh my goodness, this is going to, uh, and then we're just in our head. And that stops us from showing up as our awesome selves. You just get to be you. You don't need to try to change somebody else's view. Mm -hmm. and, like, and they're so aware of that, but instead it's no, no, let, let's just focus on, on you thinking these things about you. And when you think that you're awesome, cool, and funny, you just get to show up as you, which is going to increase the likelihood that other people who are your people will go, you know what, that, uh, that dude, he's pretty funny. I like him, you know, or your crush saying, Hey, you know what? I like that kind of a guy or that kind of a girl. 
that's like the exact kind of person I'm looking for. And I, I really have to kind of restructure dating in a lot of my clients yeah. uh, heads, which is I got to get that person to like me. You just need to collect data on whether or not that person likes somebody like you. You're just data collecting. Is, does this per person fit with me? They get to decide that. I, I just got to see if they like me for who I am and if they're as interested in moving on to the next step with me as I am interested in moving on to the next step with them, whatever the next step is talking, exchanging numbers or snaps, whatever they do these days, yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> hanging out, going track. on a group day. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> um, and so it really frees them up a lot to be like, Oh man, it's not so much about changing other people. I just get to be me. And that frees up a lot of bandwidth in their brain. Mm-hmm. When there was a, a, as I was looking at some of your posts, you had an interesting one on dating where it was about kind of the stories or, or just things that you need to know about dating. Um, and one of them was, it was something like, if it's not a yes, it's then that means no, or and, and things yeah. like that, or don't make up a story in your head before you talk to them. Can you share a couple of those things? I just, I thought it was really insightful. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, I did a whole course for uh, for young adults, right? So college students on uh, uncomplicating dating, mm -hmm. and um, and I I have clients that are teens, but also clients that are that are adults, mm -hmm. or you know, uh, I should say young adults. And um, I'll give you a great example of somebody doing that. So there's there's this guy, a college student that I'm coaching, and he's like, yeah, there's this girl, and you know, like my parents kind of like introduced us, you know, she's a friend of the family. And she saw my picture. She was interested. We chatted. She was, it was great, you know? And so, so then I texted her. She has like, she didn't text back in like three days. And so I'm just like, you know what? If she's going to play games, you know, or if she's going to not be interested or if she's gonna, you know, and his brain was just going wild and his brain was just being like, you know what? She's not interested in me. Uh, and, and the unspoken stuff was I blew it you know, I'm the worst kind of a thing. So he started writing the story that she wasn't interested and uh, it was a no. And he's just do, like pursuing this would be a waste of energy and pointless. And I was like, dude, you do not know any of that. You have zero information on that other than she hasn't responded in three days. And his brain's like, no, but like if she was interested, she would totally have responded. I'm like, would she have? I mean, is there is there a reason why she wouldn't? And apart from the whole, well, she lost her phone or she doesn't have service or she's been really busy kind of excuses, which mm -hmm. our brain doesn't believe. I start going, no, what if she was interested in you and another guy, right? Because I mean, we're allowed to be interested in more than one person. And what if this other guy, things kind of just aligned where she's kind of able, like it, it was just easier to pursue him at the moment. And she didn't know what to say to you. So she's kind of like waiting. And what if she pursues that guy? And then that peters out and she's like, you know what? I don't like that guy or that didn't work out, but I was really interested in this guy. Let me go check. Like, is that allowable? Is she allowed yeah. to do that? And he's like, oh man. Yeah. I was just totally like, if she would, would reach out again, I would have just blown her off and be like, nah, you're not interested. Like you missed the, your chance. It turns out when I coached him a week later, she did reach out and she said, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. And she didn't really give like a solid excuse, but she was just like, yeah, you know, sorry. Hey, I would love to hang out. And they went on a couple of dates and they were able to see if they were compatible. And I'm like, that's so much better than writing this story where everything's bad and everything's horrible and I'm the worst. And I'm not even going to give her, you know, uh, the time of day because she didn't act in the way I wanted her to act. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, totally. It's so funny because that literally happened when my husband and I met. He was like, we were talking on one of those um dating websites and he was like, you know, like he he asked me to go to dinner and then he's like, you know what? I am kind of seeing someone, so like I it feels weird. and I was like, you know what? Whatever. We're all talking to multiple people on these apps. I understand if it works out with her cool, if not reach out and then, you know, Obviously, obviously things worked out, but yeah. it's just funny how people like how you can be kind of black and white with with that or or even with friendships, too. I think it's even like me personally, when I was um, when I was in high school, I always joke around that I was kind of like Paul Rudd from I Love You, Man, but like the female version, because <laughs> I always found dating a little bit easier than friendships, because it's like, you know, once you get in and you have this 
connection with a person, you know them, you know, like all the boundaries are set. Whereas with friendships, it's so um, open-ended. Like you can have friends that you're Facebook friends with, and then you have friends that you have your numbers and then you text each other. And then you have, you know, where it's like, what kind of friends are we? There's all these different levels of friendship. Whereas with dating, a lot of times it's a little bit more concrete. I mean, not always, but, but more so with friendships. And so like, how do you help people when they have those kind of thoughts about friendships? Like, oh, I texted this friend and they didn't text me back. Cause then it's even the, the whole idea of, well, you have lots of friends, you know? I mean, that's even more of a factor with friendships. Oh yeah. Well, and especially teens during the transition from middle school to high school. Right. And mm -hmm. I, I have a lot of clients who are like, well, we were BFFs like since kindergarten and now things are different, you know, and now like she's hanging out with other friends, not just me all the time, you know? So they, sometimes it manifests in that way, you know, especially the, well, like what, what's going on here. And the same process happens where they start to tell themselves all these stories about themselves. I always say there's, when it comes to relationships, there's, there's a handful of types of thoughts. I, I love categorizing things. It helps me. Yeah. Right? There's a handful of thoughts that we are using to either poison our relationships or nurture our relationships. And so obviously there's what you think about them, right? You know, if I think, ah, oh, she's, she's being disloyal, she's backstabbing me, right? That's going to poison your relationship. There's thoughts about us in relationship to them. Oh, well, I must not be as cool or as funny, you know, you know, like I must not be as good of a friend. Then there's um, the big one, which is what we think about the world and well about the world, like a BFF should not be hanging out with other people. People should be responding to my texts in this amount of time. People should be like, and we have these, these beliefs about how the world runs mm -hmm. and if it doesn't match up to it, then we start developing these thoughts that poison our relationships towards people that, and, and most of these relationships could otherwise be saved. Of course, there's always a time where, you know, friends grow apart or not everybody you meet is going to, you know, be your friend or not everybody you start to date is going to become a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Um, but we can have the best relationships and the best chance of a successful relationship if we really monitor and manage those three thoughts, right? What I think about them, what I think about me in relation to them, and what I think about the world and how it's supposed to work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so when you're thinking about their thought or like other people's behaviors, how do things like pet peeves come into play when we're talking about relationships? Yeah. So somebody else doing something that's just so annoying. Right. You know, you're like, ah, oh, right. So you like, I, when I was a teen, I had a friend that would punch me every time I said something funny. Right. He would just kind of like punch me. And I really hated it, you know? And so that, that's always my example of a pet peeve when I'm uh, coaching a teen on, on this, it's like, okay, you have the option to just manage your mind with it. You know what? Not that big of a deal. You know, that's okay that they do this. They're actually not annoying because they do that. Uh, I probably do things that are annoying. Right. And so like mm -hmm. seeking to understand them and being okay with it. Uh, but you also have the option to actually make a request because some teams are like, Oh, I just can't do anything. Like your friend, which is supposed to punch you forever, you know, and you can't ever do anything about them. Like, no, like you, you can make a request. You can request, hey, I would love it if you didn't punch me every time I told a joke. Like, that would be great for me. You know, uh, and sometimes that's all it takes. Oh, I, I had no idea because we're afraid to tell the whole truth, which is, hey, I love you, bro. I love hanging around you. We have a, a lot of fun together, but I also hate it when you punch me. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I would, I would love it if you stopped. I didn't know how to bring this up because I didn't want to be awkward, but I would love it if you stopped. Sometimes like, oh, oh, of course. Yeah. My bad. You know, I thought you enjoyed it. And then maybe you punched you again. Hey, oh, I'm so sorry. I have it. You know, and then you guys are able to, to move forward and be even closer. Um, but sometimes you make a request and uh, they don't honor it. Right. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're like, uh, either I don't want to, or it's not something where it's a friend can, you know, maybe they're, you know, they chew on their their uh, nails. And that would be a weird request to be like, Hey, could you stop biting your nails? It grosses me out. You know, like 
Um, you have the option then to kind of set up a boundary. And I teach teens how to, how to do this. You set up a boundary with someone where, well, if they're going to do that thing that I've asked them not to do, or in my head have decided that I don't like being around them for, you get to kind of, kind of pull the trigger on the boundary there and be like, you know what, whenever I'm around Doug who punches me, I'm not going to say any jokes or whenever he punches me, I'm going to just leave. We all, all right. Hey, I'm out. Bye. I, I'm going to leave, you know, so you can kind of still have your own back or whenever I'm around Jill and she starts biting her nails, you know, I'm, I'm going to walk away or I'm going to change the subject or uh, do something. Right. But you, it's things that you do, not that they have to do because we're not in control of them. We're in control mm -hmm. of what we can do. And that gives teens a lot of power and they're not just so, at the mercy of other people's behaviors uh, or at the mercy of their mind about other people's behaviors, which is where pet peeves even come from. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That is with the, with the pet peeve thing, I've seen it in so many different contexts. So obviously there's friendships I've heard. Um, I think it's Lori Gottlieb talks a little bit about it, but I think she talks about it more in the context of, of romantic relationships where it's like, how you're, you know, you, you, we tend to be kind of hard on people, like, I mean, at least certain people. Um, and then without realizing that maybe we have some things too, that we're doing as well, that other we think are endearing, but other people don't find okay. endearing. So it's kind of about giving people grace, but still realizing that we have some choice if something is really bothering us. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. So, oh, so many, so many different other things I can, uh, can ask about. Um, I, when we're thinking about teens specifically, as far as, you know, I've seen a lot of behavior where it's sort of like, it's almost brushed off as normal teenage behavior, which we do have to understand where they are developmentally, but at the same time, teach them accountability so that we're building those skills for when they do, you know, when they are in their early twenties and their brains are fully developed, we've got to build that foundation because if we're not thinking about it while their brain is developing, obviously those skills aren't going to be there. So what, I mean, what things do you find um, as far as like, I don't want to say bad advice, but just thinking about the way that teens brains are wired, where we're kind of doing the opposite of what we need to be doing. Um, yeah. Like I've, I've seen a lot of adults interact with teens, especially when I was in the administrative, like um, administration office, you know, um, and just hearing other, you know, teachers interact with teens when they are teens, just being teens. Um, they want to attack them like real hard. And for, for me, going at a teen and saying, Oh, you know what you're doing. Oh, you're doing it on purpose. You know, as ah, you're never going to be successful this way. Um, you're really trying to, uh, forcefully change their behavior, which is going to have the teens just throw up the walls, right? Like they, they don't like, nobody wants to hear anybody coming at them like that, mm -hmm. you know? And in order to position yourself in a way to give them those skills that are necessary. I love how you put that, right? Yeah, their brains are developing. And it's almost like they're building a car. And a lot of us wait until the car is completed when we're older. And then we start learning how to take care of it and drive it. You know, once it's done, you know, and that's why a lot of 20 and 30 year olds start doing self-development or whatnot, because we just built the car, we got in it and we just start, whoop, we just started going down the freeway and started driving without really any lessons or being mm -hmm. able to learn how to use it or take care of it. So I, I believe, which is why I work with teens that, Hey, let's teach them how to take care of it and manage it and get the best mileage out of their brain while it's being built, you know? And so give that to them at the same time. And so I find a lot of, uh, not a lot, there are adults who, when they come at teens and they go, look, you need to change. The teen will not hear it. They just will close their ears to it, roll their eyes and do all this stuff. Uh, but if you come at them in a way that's a little bit more what I call being the mentor, not the villain. And that's the difference. Like when I work with parents, it's going from uh, villain to mentor, 
you know, the villain is always trying to force their way upon everybody else. But the mentor is always trying to guide the hero to discovering their own skills and their own abilities. And that, that's the difference. And, and the mentor will always give the, the hero the option to make their own choices. Hey, look, you, you got to make these choices on your own. But if you do this, you can't keep working with me. Or if you do that, then this is going to happen. You know, mm -hmm. the villain is like, no, no, you have to do what I want. And if you don't, then punishment and death. Right. And so I, I try to really channel that mentor mindset and uh, encourage others to do the same when it comes to working with teens. Yeah, I think that sometimes people have that have a difficult time finding that balance between you don't want to be authoritarian um, because that is, you know, that's too rigid. It doesn't really give them any any ownership in the process when they feel like something's being imposed on them but no. then if you're overly indulgent then that's not good either because then they don't have the accountability it's finding that nice middle ground where it's you know it, here are your choices and here's what's going to happen if you choose this versus this so yeah um i think the balance is really important so I know that you have some good tools and places where people can find you to learn more about what you do. Uh, I know you have the app that we haven't talked about yet. Can you share a little bit about that and where people can connect with you? Yeah, definitely. Uh, first off, you can go to my website, joeymascio.com. Last name is M-A-S-C-I-O. And that will have the links to, to all the things that I'm doing. Uh, the thing that I'm most excited about that I've been working on for the past 18 months is my brand new gamified mindset training app for teens it's called sidekick to hero because that's my brand um it's available on desktop right now so so it's a web-based app where teens can sign up with their parents right parents teens sign up but both of them get an account right their own kind of parents has their parent portal and the teens have access to everything that's in there and it looks and feels like a video game they have an avatar that's customizable uh, it's super fun. I really love the graphic work that the team has, uh, has done for this. They're able to build up coins and experience points as they play through these hero arenas, which covers the four areas or the hero uh, areas that I, I talk about, which is headspace, emotions, relationships, and objectives, which conveniently spells out hero. And through those uh, arenas, they play through these stages where they get a little bit of training in a fun, engaging video. And then they get a challenge to do in real life, right? It could be some mental awareness. Uh, it could be going out and back to the app and then they actually record it. Um, and that uh, keeps track of their uh, recordings, like a journal, right? They're like what they type in and then they get some XPs and coins for it. And uh, there's a lot, there's a lot in there um, for teens to kind of, present this whole mental resilience stuff in a fun way for teens. It's really good ages like two through 16, not two, sorry, 12, not two. It's way too young, <laughs> 12 to 16. Um, and so that's great. Uh, and you know, I'm also on Instagram. I have my own, uh, podcast, uh, secrets for an awesome life, uh, which you were a guest on a couple months ago and, um, yeah. Great. Yeah. All right. Well, we will link to all those in the show notes. So thank you so much for being on today. Yeah, thank you. Oh, I, and I did want to say before I forgot, sure. uh, I, I am interested in taking Psychic to Hero to schools. And I know you talked to a lot of school leaders. If there's any yes. school leader out there who is like, hey, man, that sounds interesting. How in the world can I we get that to our students? Reach out to me. I'm looking for some, some uh, beta testers to kind of uh, test out this, this program uh, on a more of a school-wide or grade-wide level. Great. All right. Well, we'll link to all that.
thank you so much for listening. Be sure to check the show notes for all the places you can go to connect with Joey, including where you can go to learn more about the Sidekick to Hero gamified mindset training app for teens. Sidekick to Hero teaches teens mental resilience strategies to help them build confidence, develop social skills, and achieve their goals. And you can get 25% off the annual subscription at sidekicktohero.com. Also, if you are on a school team and you want to put executive functioning support in place so that kids can develop the social skills that they need in order to form connections with their peers, then check out the School of Clinical Leadership. To learn more, go to drkarendudakbrennan.com backslash clinical leadership. As always, it helps me out so much if you rate and review the DeFacto Leaders podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. And if you found this episode helpful, be sure to share it with a friend. If you have a suggestion for a guest or if you would like to be a guest on the show, please email me at talktome at drkarenspeech.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I will see you next time. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments without just teaching to the test? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com backslash BE to learn how IXL's research-based teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com backslash BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into the master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out My Flex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com backslash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com backslash BE.